Well, good day, Fellowship family. Are you ready for the uh, solar eclipse? So, um, they actually can go to Lowe's or Home Depot and buy one of those welding helmets because they're cheaper than the glasses are at this stage of the game. I mean, craziness. Great to have you with us. Uh, we're continuing a series called Awkward to Awesome uh, because of as, as we listen to what's going on in your lives, relationships bring the greatest amount of challenge and crisis in our lives. And so uh, from time to time, we'll do a topical series on something like this and try to address it from a perspective of, of the, the person and the work of Jesus, how the gospel transforms our relationships. And uh, we want to come alongside and equip you as you navigate through some of those difficult, challenging relationships that you might have. One of the issues that we're hearing from parents is the issue of screens and how screens are robbing us from significant conversations. We're hearing families watching one screen, but actually having a screen in front of them. And so they're, they're uh, together, but they're really alone in the same room. And so we have a parenting workshop that's coming up this evening, 6 to 7.30 p.m. over there in the family uh, center um, show up. Our family ministries uh, team is putting this together on how to really navigate through significant conversations. I'm a, I'm a father of three, and that time with kids at home, I mean, it went like crazy. It went really fast. And if you're not intentional about the relationship and the conversations you're having, that time will just, will just be a missed opportunity. So we want to learn how to balance screens in our families. Feel free to join us for this this evening, 6 to 7.30. Okay, so we want to look at the scriptures now. One of the key scriptures guiding our conversation today is from Jesus in John 15, 12, where he says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So if you are a follower of Jesus, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, that is his command to us. That's kind of our, our, our call from Jesus. Love one another, so that's the call, but then the way in which we do that's important also. It's not love what seems natural to us or love people the way they love us, but rather as he has loved us. And that's what makes it difficult, right? Especially in these awkward relationships, because some people are easy to love and we just give them love. Our kids, easy to love most time, easy to love, right? Our spouses, I mean, when they're really kind to us, they're easy to love. And then there's other people that are hard to love, very difficult. And it's easy for us to want to live life without them or live life away from them. And what we're really called to is deepen our love because Jesus is committed to growing us in love. Have you ever thought that you might be in an awkward relationship or a challenging relationship uh, by Jesus? That, that might be an invitation by Jesus to grow deeper in your love. We don't always view it that way. We see it as maybe a scourge or a curse. That's why I'm dealing with this person. But what if it's an invitation to grow deeper? Because if we only love people who look like us, act like us, talk like us, and believe like us, our love's going to be pretty shallow. And if we love like Jesus, it opens the door to loads more people and, and more opportunities to reflect the grace and the truth of Jesus. So we talked and we began in this series, just in case you're joining us for the first time, we began this series where Brian really uh, called us 
instead of pointing a spotlight on the other person who we're struggling with, what if we looked in the mirror? What if we began in the mirror and asked the question, what do I contribute to this conflict? What do I contribute to this awkwardness? Last week, we talked about grace. And what that relationship needs is grace. Grace is the overarching theme of God's love for us. It's undeserved love. It's not love because we, you know, perform up to a level. It's love because God chooses. It's his sovereign choice to love us no matter what. And today I want to talk to you about what does it mean to drop your expectations? Because expectations, your expectation of someone else weighs and burdens a relationship. And you may not realize that you have expectations, but I'll tell you, I can guarantee you that person you're in a relationship with, or even that person who you're in conflict with, they will tell you, and they will easily know the expectations you might have on them. One of the, uh, an expectation is really how your view of how people ought to be, how people ought to be. So when someone's late, you go, you ought to be on time. That's an expectation, timeliness, right? When someone's harsh with you, you're really harsh. What's the expectation? That you would be kind, right? And, and they tend to come out at a crisis point when someone falls short of your expectation. Now, many of your expectations are unspoken, but they're very, very powerful. And if you're going to navigate through a difficult relationship, it's my recommendation to just think about dropping an expectation. Now, we're going to talk about a prevailing expectation that kind of rules your relationships, and we'll talk about that later. But what, if I were to just ask you, what's that prevailing expectation in your relationships right now? I think if you were to, and I've had probably more time because I've preached this now four times this weekend, okay? This is my fifth time preaching it. So I think my prevailing expectation is respect. And if you respect me, I tend to respect you back. If you disrespect me, guess what? I don't want to respect you. And that's going to really limit me to a lot of relationships that God wants to grow me in love. And whatever your prevailing expectation is, maybe that's an invitation that God might want to grow love in you. To, to um, move us to a point of acceptance, right? That's the heart of Jesus, that we, we don't hold up expectations for people, but we accept them just as they are. We begin just as they are and allow God to start working. Okay, so let's, let's ground this in the scriptures. And I, I'd like you to turn with me to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. And we come across the life of Jesus as he's ministering and he's invited over to a guy's house. Now, who this guy is is important and who shows up at the house is also important. But these two expectations are going to clash in his presence. And I'd like you to take a look at it. Take a look at uh, Luke chapter 7, beginning with verse 36. And we're going to kind of do a verse by verse to understand and get our mind around what Jesus is calling us into. So we join up with Jesus. He's having a ministry in Galilee, which is in the northern part of his ministry area. And it says this, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. 
And behold, Luke is kind of making a picture here. Behold, this is someone who is not expected. Behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. And it was probably a public sin there. Most likely prostitution. And she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. And she brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And he wiped and and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Let's just pause here because this is a pretty significant event. Let's take a look at the two people who were around Jesus at that point. First of all is the Pharisee. And a Pharisee looked the part, played the part, acted the part. He was a someone who really was focused on being a righteous person. He spent a ton of time in God's word as revealed in the Old Testament. And so no one spent more time reading, studying, trying to apply, teaching, encouraging the word of God in the lives of people who in this room might act like a Pharisee. He spent a ton of time praying. He prayed in his house. He prayed out on the public square. Everyone knew this was a righteous man. And the righteous man is the one who inherits the kingdom of God according to the Jewish faith. The righteous. He was the righteous one. He looked, if you saw him in public, he actually had a costume on. It wasn't costume. It was just, it was just more like holy clothing that he would wear. And everything had a significance with he and his relationship with God. And so he invites Jesus over because Jesus himself was calling people to a righteous life, to a life in him. And that was competition. And he wanted to know from time to time, Pharisees intersected with Jesus. It didn't always look pretty, but at this one, one invites him over to his house. And Jesus sits down at his table. Now, the table that was there in the ancient Middle Eastern world was not the table that we have. The table we have is probably, you know, 30 inches tall and it has a seat that pulls up to it and your feet sit underneath, you know, in front of you while you're, but this, the, the table at the time of Jesus was probably a foot off the ground. And so if you can imagine a table, it's a foot off the ground and Jesus would come and recline at the table. So he would, he would lay down and he would put his elbow on the table. That wasn't bad manners at that day. You know, he'd put the elbow on the table with his left hand and he would eat with his right hand. There'll be another message is why he ate with his right hand, but today we'll just move on, right? So he ate with his right hand, and as he was doing that, looking at the Pharisee, this woman shows up, and so she shows up behind him and is undone. I mean, just loses it emotionally and starts to cry and takes that ointment. And as she's crying, and she's, she's, she's crying at his feet. And so you see the picture? He's focused on these Pharisees, and he knew it was happening. But she comes up right behind him and is undone. She's broken. Folks, this is a woman who, if she was a prostitute, she was sorry for her sin. And she realized, we aren't really told that in the text, but maybe she heard Jesus preaching. Maybe he, he shared about the forgiveness of God. Luke is really clear in saying that the Son of Man came to seek and save those who were lost. If there's anyone who felt lost in life, 
lost in relationships, lost in this world. This was the woman, and she comes to Jesus, and when she sees him, because she heard he was there, she loses it. It's not a pretty cry. This is an ugly cry. You've had them, right? Tears just flow, and you can't stop. But she happens to be at the feet of Jesus. And she looks around, she realizes this guy's feet are getting wet. And so she doesn't have anything except her hair. And she wipes his feet off with her hair. And then she takes the thing she came for. This very expensive ointment. And she breaks it open on a one-time only glass. And, and pours it on his feet. And probably the perfume just opens up and just, you know, just permeates the room. Now, if that happened here, it would be uncomfortable. But hopefully over time, if you have a compassionate heart, you would realize someone met Jesus here today. And Jesus melted a heart. And we would go, hopefully, if if the Spirit has a heart this morning, hopefully we would go, I love that. That's why I come here. Because people are, are intersecting with Jesus And he is meeting them and they are finding forgiveness. They're finding that God loves them. But the Pharisee didn't see it that way. She was not a righteous woman. She was a sinner. And so take a look at the thought of this Pharisee in verse 39. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, and Luke is real clear on this. He said to himself, he didn't say out loud, I have open mouth insert foot syndrome. This Pharisee kept it in his mind. And he said this, if this man knew he were a prophet, he really were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Pharisees don't touch sinners. They don't touch sin. Why? Because I'm righteous. She's not. We stay away from her. And if he were a prophet, which is not the Christ, it's such if he were just a prophet he, in the inner circle of God, not God himself, he would know what's going on here. She's an unholy woman. And so I think that's a distinctive when you have expectations for people. You wait to have relationship with them until they measure up to your view of righteous. See, Jesus' requirement is not a righteousness in and of yourself. There is no way. If, if his requirement was for us was to be to, to have to bear the burden of, of living a perfect life. He knew we can't do that. That's why he had to come. That's why he had to live a life we couldn't live. A righteous life. A perfect life without sin. That's why he had to die on a cross. To pay the price for our sin. That's why he had to rise from the dead. To defeat the power of sin and death in our lives. That's Jesus. But a Pharisee couldn't see it. And so Jesus saw it. And I think this is really interesting. It was, because Jesus is more than a prophet. He is the son of God, the savior of this world. And look what he says. Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, say it, teacher. In other words, bring it on, bring it on. Verse 41. So there was a certain money lender who had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them would love him more? Let's just pause. Let's just pause. 
Because last week we talked about a denarii and how much that was worth. And a denarii was worth one day's work. So take it. Take it in your context. How much do you make in a day? And just multiply that by 50. How much do you make in a day? Multiply it by 500. How much do you make in, in 50 days? That's two months. How much do you make in 500 days? That's two years of work. The amounts are different, but neither of them could pay. That's what they all shared. They owed different amounts, but neither of them could pay. And I would say if this were done in American culture today, not many of us could pay either. Because most of us don't keep two days of income in savings. When we hit emergencies today, the American family is stressed when a $400 bill comes in. We don't know what to do. If we didn't have a credit card, we couldn't pay it. Because we spend it all and we spend more and it leaves us in debt. Well, this is very similar to that day. Both of them owed, but none of them can pay. So what did the money lender do? He canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them would love them more? Simon answers the question, the one I suppose, because he's keeping his options safe here, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. Do you see what's happening? The more you realize what Christ has done for you, the more you should love. The more you recognize the forgiveness you have in Christ and your incapacity to pay it, the more you receive from Christ. Jesus doesn't require us to level up to righteousness Jesus gave us the righteousness from God. He requires us to admit our sin and to trust in him. That's what this woman did. She came and she offered herself and she, she received his forgiveness and she committed to a future. Look at what happened here, because this is really where Jesus confronts Simon most clearly. He says, then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, but you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. I believe Jesus did not stand up and preach a message. I think he did it while he was leaning on the table, kind of just doing this. Do you see this, this woman here? I, I entered your house. He didn't wash my feet. Look at her. She's, she's washing my feet with her tears. And, and did you, you gave me no kiss, but she's, time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. And you did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But here's where the stinger is. But he who is forgiven little loves little. He confronted the heart of Simon, who didn't think he really needed to be forgiven much. And therefore, he loved little. And I think this is a great lesson for us. It's that your view of yourself will definitely affect the view you have of others. Your view of God's grace in your life will definitely influence the amount of grace you give And you can know the scriptures and you can pray a lot. But if you refuse to love, if you refuse to receive people like Jesus received them, we are missing the mark on grace. We are hindering our relationships. We are clouding out his love from moving through our lives. 
But Jesus addresses another issue here. And he says to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's talk here because there's three things I want to say. He says to the woman, first of all, your sins are forgiven. Jesus had that authority to forgive sins, and he has that authority today. When you confess your sins, he will forgive you. That's important. I've seen this passage used from a bunch of different perspectives, but one perspective is sexual immorality. I want to live however I want to live with the lifestyle I want to choose, and I don't care. I don't care. Look, Jesus accepted a prostitute. If he accepts a prostitute, he'll accept me. And I've heard that over and over, but it's a misuse of this passage because the woman comes to Jesus broken, repentant of her sins. Jesus calls it sin. She's been forgiven of her sins, which are many. And she received that forgiveness and she commits to repentance. If you're pride, you don't cry at the feet of Jesus. If you're prideful, if you're self-righteous, if you're just, Jesus, you better, you know, be my genie to let me have the happy life I want to have. If you live like that, you're not going to be weeping at the feet of Jesus and, and worshiping him and sacrificing your life and, and things to him. But we know it's not that. But Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. I don't have that authority. He does. Go to Jesus and confess your sin. Secondly, the response of the people when they heard him say, your sins are forgiven. He, they freaked. There's other times in Jesus's ministry where people go, who is this? Like, remember when he was on the Sea of Galilee and the disciples saw him calm the storm? They go, who is this? And even the wind and the waves, they obey him. That's kind of the, who is this? Guys, we're around something, someone supernatural. This is the Son of God. This one is not that. This is not the who is this like that. This is like, who does he think he is? The audacity to forgive someone's sin. Jesus just kind of drew the, the contrast between the self-righteous, people who reject others who don't measure up to their expectations, and the one who humbly came to him, sought his forgiveness, and left free. Look at that. He said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So the, folks, the, the picture of the scriptures today is that we'd come to Jesus and we'd leave with peace. And how do we leave with peace? But we come to Jesus and we put our, our trust in him. We seek him. We ask him to forgive us. And we live as forgiven people, loved and accepted by God, following him. And so as we think about our expectations, I want to kind of recraft three expectations for us in relationships. But the first one has to do with our relationship with God and how it affects relationships with others. First one is this. What can you expect? Well, expect God to forgive sinners. Expect. That's what he's in the business of doing. That's why Jesus came. Luke says over and over, the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Salvation is in Jesus. Forgiveness is in him. How do I do this? When it's so difficult, that person has been so mean to me. That person has judged me. That person has rejected me. That person is keeping me from my potential. That person is unkind to me. Well, begin with yourself. 
Begin with yourself. Did you realize that Jesus Christ forgave you? And did you realize he didn't wait for you to measure up? I know many of you come from a religious background and and your your framework is more I come to church because I want to be a good person because in the end if my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds then I'll I'll be okay with God. And and that couldn't be further from the truth of what biblical Christianity is all about. See biblical Christianity says look we're all in here not because we're really good people or because we're better than anyone else. We're here because we need Jesus. We're broken with sin. There's really nothing great about us, but there is something great about Jesus who lived for us. He died for us and he rose again. I'm not here because I deserve to be here. I'm here because I said yes to Jesus. I love what Paul says about his life. In 1 Timothy 1.15, he says, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. I like that because it's so open and vulnerable. Don't you just respond differently than, hey, folks, I've got to put it all together. I know Jesus. He knows me. Well, I'm in his inner circle. Here's what you need to hear about him. Everyone would close their hearts to what the truth is. But when you go, look, we are messed up. Welcome to the church. We're messed up. We're broken sinners in need of saving. Yeah, that's where it begins. Expect that whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Forgiveness is in the person of Jesus. Expect God. You can expect that at, whenever you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So expect God to forgive sinners. Secondly, expect God to redeem the past into potential. Now, this woman entered the house, and her past was really loud. Her past was expressed in what she wore, or didn't wear. Her past was expressed in what she did. Her past really speaks loud. And I'll be honest, if you've hurt people, and you have that pattern, that dysfunctional, destructive pattern, talking behind someone's back, or kind of ruining relationships, your past speaks loud. It just does. But your future is what Jesus is committed to. And that's where when you come to Christ and you're humble and you're broken and you trust him and you begin to follow him, redemption happens. Redemption is that word that literally means an exchange. When you're, it's you exchange who you once were with who you now are and who you can become in Christ. God works redemption. When you follow him, expect him to exchange your past into a potential. God looks at potentials in us. He deals in futures. And he has a glorious future for us if we're willing to trust him. Begin with your story. I like how Paul talks about his story in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, we were all once dead in our trespasses and sins. We were following the course of this world. We were following the prince of the, spirit, uh, of the power of the air, the spirit who's now at work in the sons of disobedience. And we were all as, like children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, and that's what God is doing. He knows our past. He's, he knows the reality of our present, but he commits to a future with us. 
begin with your story, how your life has changed, how you have grown. And then expect God to restore faith through acceptance and forgiveness. Folks, you can't start out having loads of expectations of everything that needs to happen before you'll talk to that person or reconcile with that person. No, folks, we need to take God at faith value. We need to realize, did you realize when you limit people with your expectations, that's a faith statement. You're saying they're not worth my love, which means they're not worth the love of God. They're not worth my acceptance, which means they're not worth God's acceptance. And we can live like that, but it will ruin the glory of the gospel through our lives. Expect God to restore faith through acceptance. Jesus says to this woman, the last words we see is your faith has saved you. Faith that saves, trusts in the future and the forgiveness of Jesus. Restoration can happen. Now, as I, um, as, as I finish here, I want to talk to you about what are those first steps in, in dropping expectations? Because I think it's really important that as we commit to this, it's not just an ideology or a theology that we agree with, but a, a way of life that we are people who, who are open to welcoming one another, even those who are difficult and awkward. In Romans chapter five, 15, verse 7, it says, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And so I want to talk to you about what this could mean on our first steps. The first one is this, awareness. I want you to think of what is your prevailing expectation in a relationship. In other words, how others ought to be for them to be in a relationship with me. I mentioned personally that I tend to move towards respect. Respect is that expectation I have of others. But in reality, people didn't respect Jesus. They didn't. And he was perfect. So we shouldn't expect people to respect us. That shouldn't be an expectation. What is yours? Some, it might be kindness. Some of you might have a grudge against a parent who didn't pay for something or didn't leave you an inheritance or whatever. You have your expectations. There's an awareness and it affects the way you treat them. So what is it? If you don't know and you're married, ask your spouse. They'll tell you real quickly. Not right here because I want you to not leave crying or something like that. But your spouse knows. Your kids know. Your kids know. That when I don't do this, I can see it real quickly in you. I've disappointed you. And let's just be honest. None of us like to disappoint you. None of us do. What You need to be aware of what is it. What is that expectation that's getting in the way of that relationship? Number two, you need to know your expressions. You don't realize this because we talk a lot about words and actions. But really, your expressions say a million words. How about when someone falls short of an expectation? Here's one. (sighs) What? Nothing? Oh, you just said it. You just said it in more ways. Here's mine. See that? See the big eyes? My wife goes, your eyes just got big. I said, no, they didn't. You know? I turn into a three-year-old. What's wrong? Nothing? 
But there's something there that I don't want to admit. Admit. I want to say, well, I have an expectation that you should be this and you're not. I mean, that's really painful for me to say. But you know what? When I do, she goes, yes, I realize that. You know, it's kind of like when two can understand reality. Your expressions matter. Can I just say, if we're to welcome people like we've been welcomed by Christ, how does Christ welcome us? His whole posture is that for a a loving father with his children. You know, the father comes home and the children run up to him. Does he go like this? No. Or does he get down on their level and welcomes them as his own? That's how we need to welcome each other. And I know Topeka, Kansas is not known for their welcoming expressions. But we need to. We need to. And it could begin with us. If as many people who came to Fellowship Bible Church this weekend just practice some expressions of welcomeness and acceptance with people, a smile, do you know how many of us just walk around like this? In public! In public! We're like this, and we're bumping into people, or we're bumping into cars. (laughs) And we're looking for that app that will tell us when the light changes. Because we'd rather not accept people. We'd rather just have this little cocoon around us. It's destroying our relationships. I'm not talking about being being plastic or inauthentic. But what if we what if we put our screens away and just said, God, who do you want to introduce me today? Who are you going to put in front of my path that I can welcome as you welcomed me? Maybe that's a posture. That might just give God some more opportunities in our lives. And then our words. When you go through conflict with someone, it's going to be really easy for you to know the worst thing to say to them. (laughs) It's just kind of, I wish I wasn't like that. But I know the worst thing to say because I'm fighting from saying it. And I'm a pastor. (laughs) I mean, I don't wear the garb. But yeah, I mean, I know the worst thing I could say. But what if I, instead of just trying not to say that, what if I just poured my life into trying to say the best thing I could say about that person? What if I started recrafting the words I say? Well, Joe, that's not authentic. Well, fake it till you make it. (laughs) No, I have to follow Jesus. I have to follow Jesus. So it's not what should I say, it's what he would say. That's not my heart right now. So I have to take on his heart. Because I don't trust mine, and mine will do some damage. And so that's how we take on the attitude of Christ. What would Jesus do in this situation? What would he say? Sometimes he would say nothing. But especially around that water cooler on a Monday morning when your boss is right at the target, or your employee is right at the target of the next statement of gossip, maybe we can just pull back and not say something, or say something the best about that person. It recrafts, it recrafts and dies down the fire of anger. And then actions. What's the best thing you can do for that person? We may not practice hospitality like the olden days, but I'll tell you, when you invite someone over who you're struggling with, it's amazing how the walls fall. When you're kind to someone, it's amazing how God wins the day. 
And, and acts of kindness still are important, not for just kindness sake, not because you get what you want, but more for a greater principle from this passage, for the glory of God. See that last phrase? That's why I endure in a relationship, for the glory of God. That's the purpose of my life, for the glory of God. That's the purpose of everything I'm called to do, for the glory of God, which means to make God greater in my relationships, to make God greater in my own life, to make God greater in my worship, make God greater in my work, to make God greater in my driving on Topeka roads, to make God greater in my relationships of conflict. At the end of the day, it can't be about you the end of the day, if you're Christ's follower, it needs to be about him. This is the picture. You know your prevailing expectation. Are you willing to take a step of faith and to drop that expectation so you can accept someone and allow Jesus to work? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that we could be a part of your family, not because of our works, not because we're good and decent people, but because of the enduring, faithful grace of God. And Lord, I pray for each person here. You know exactly the relationships they're in or don't want to be in because of conflict. And Lord, I just, I, I, Lord, I pray that we would accept your invitation with this circumstance to welcome one another as you have welcomed us for the glory of Jesus. It's in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.